Well, good morning. Uh, like John said, my name is Ryan, and it's a great pleasure and an honor to be with you here this morning. When I was growing up, I always remember from the time that I was a child that I really loved watching movies. Uh, there wasn't a Friday night where my family wasn't watching a movie together. That's one of the things we do together as a family. One of the movies we love to watch, we've watched it several times, my mom actually introduced it to me, uh, it's called Fiddler on the Roof. And in Fiddler on the Roof, one of my favorite scenes is when Tevya, the main character, Tevya, he asks his wife in sort of musical sing-songy fashion, he says, Golda, they have weird names, they're Jewish, uh, do you love me? Golda, do you love me? Tevya's wife responds, this is hilarious, do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, and milked your cow. Golda told Tevya that of course she loves him, and her evidence of this is a list of all of the things that she has done for him during the time that they've been married. We all, like Tevya, are constantly looking for reminders of love. Like Tevya, we often forget how much we are loved, and when we forget, we feel like God is not on our side. Yet Romans 8 31 through 39 reminds us that like Tevya's wife, God loves us by all that he has done for us. So please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. We have been going through the book of Romans for quite some time now. We've been rooting ourselves in the gospel of God. This morning we come to the end of Romans chapter 8, which many consider to be one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, so I'm very excited to get the opportunity to preach it to you this morning. Let's go ahead and stand, and I will read Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. It says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul begins this passage with a question. He asks, what then shall we say to these things? These things is a reference to everything that he has said thus far in Romans, but especially everything he's said thus far in Romans chapter 8. 
So let's just go through real quick and summarize what we have learned from Pastor Jason in previous weeks from Romans 8. We see right off the bat in verse 1 that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verses 3 through 7, that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh so that we, believers who walk according to the Spirit, might be set free from sin and delivered into eternal life. We see in verses 14 through 16 that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. He's given us a new name and he's given us a new home. We see beginning in verse 18 that even though our suffering is very real and very hard, that the afflictions that we suffer in this life do not even compare with the glory that he will reveal to us when we go to be with Jesus forever. We see beginning in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, that God, the Holy Spirit, is praying to God the Father on our behalf constantly. In verse 28, we see that God is working all things for our good and his glory and that we're constantly being conformed to the image of his son. And finally, we see the golden chain of redemption in verses 29 through 30. For believers in Jesus Christ, we were foreknown, we were predestined, called, justified, and glorified. And for believers, this chain cannot be broken. It will not be broken. Last week, we heard Pastor Jason tell us to sit and be encouraged with the truths of God's word from Romans 8. Today, I want to tell you the same thing. Sit here, listen, and be encouraged with the truths from God's word. There might be a lot of reminders in this passage, things that you have heard many times before, but here's the thing. I need these reminders. You need these reminders because we so often forget. I have to remind myself every day of who I am in Christ so that I live the new life that he created for me. Or I will keep going back to my old ways and my sinful patterns. Romans 8 was written to assure you that if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, that you will never lose your salvation. That no matter what, God loves you, he's for you, he's on your side, and he's working for you every day. No matter what, God loves you, he's for you, and he's working for you. So now we come to our passage this morning. Take a look at verse 31. It says this, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Well, we've just looked at throughout all of Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, here's the deal. Everything Paul has written up to this point has been proving to us that God is for us. Paul's been proving just how much God is for his people. It's the main point throughout all of Romans. The language here is more rhetorical. What he's really saying is, since God is for us, who can be against us? In this passage, we are going to see Paul demonstrate five ways in which God is for us. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged and be reminded that God is for you, he works for you, and he loves you. We see first that God is for us because he has given us all, including his son. God is for us because he has given us all, including his son. Read verse 32. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Can you imagine what's that, what that's like? Can you imagine how impossibly hard it would be for you to give up your child? Some of my best friends at this church have prayed year after year after year after year for a child, enduring painful suffering along the way. And when that son or daughter arrives in this world, it's amazing. It's one of the biggest answers to prayer, if not the biggest answer to prayer they've ever received in their entire life. The baby is a little miracle. It's their miracle child from God. Some of you are still praying and praying. No child, not yet. Can you imagine how hard it would be for you to give up your child once they're born? Abraham went through this same heartbreak in the book of Genesis. God promised him a baby boy, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited some more, and he waited some more, and so many years later, like way past the time science tells us we can have kids, Sarah gets pregnant, and their miracle baby boy is born. They must have been so happy. It was answered prayer. But God says no. God said, give him back to me. Give up your son. I can't imagine the heartbreak that Abraham must have felt in that moment. But think about it. That's what God did for us. He gave us his baby boy. He said, this is my son. I love him so much. I'm giving him to you. God says, this is how much I love you. This is how much I'm for you. This is how much I'm on your side. I'm giving you my son. I'm giving you my baby. I'm giving you my miracle child. I'm for you because I gave you my son. There is no greater example of love in this world than God giving us his one and only son. There is no greater gift in this world bar none. So, God has given us the greatest gift in the world, the most costly, devastating, heartbreaking, amazing, glorious gift in the world, giving up his son Jesus for us. And we can be encouraged in this. Because God is for us, he gave up his one and only son. Even though Jesus was perfect and did not deserve to die, God still laid on him the sin of us all, and through belief in Jesus Christ, we're saved from our sins and delivered into eternal life. This is amazing. This is good news. So if God has given us the greatest gift in the entire universe, it only goes to show that God will give us everything in between. So God has given us everything. He's given us the most costly gift in the world. He's going to give us everything in between. That's what the verse says. He he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, Paul's not talking about stuff. He's not talking about money. Paul's not saying that God's going to buy you a new car, a new house, or fancy new clothes. No, that's not 
what the verse says. What he's talking about are the greatest blessings in this world. The greatest blessings in this world. Let's go through some of them. Um, Eternal life for believers in Jesus Christ. Eternal worship in his name at his throne. The Bible, the word of God that every day brings us truth, strength, hope, and courage. The church, the greatest community in the world, the gift of family, fellowship within our ethos communities and our small groups. These are the things that God gives us as believers because he has already given us the greatest gift anyone could offer. Be encouraged. God is for us. God is for you. He's given you everything. God's for us by giving us all things, including his one and only son. So the next time you read John 3.16, or you teach it to your kids, when you read, oh, for, so for God loved the world, he gave his one. No, 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 stop there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The most costly gift in the world. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he's for you. God is for us because he gave us his one and only son. And he's going to give us everything in between. So second, God is for us because he has justified us. God is for us because he has justified us. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies God's work for us and his love for us is demonstrated in the fact that we are declared righteous permanently. This is justification. Justification is a legal metaphor, and I really want you to get this picture. So do me a favor. Imagine with me for a second a courtroom. Imagine a courtroom. You are on trial in this life. You're on trial for your life. You're on trial in the courtroom. God's the judge. The trial begins. Your whole life is put on display. The prosecuting attorney comes in and he starts laying out charge after charge after charge after sin after sin after sin after sin. Paper after paper. It's a really long list. It's heavy. Every bad thing we've ever done in this entire world is manifested right here in this trial. It's a really long list. Just ask the guys in my ethos community. They'll tell you it's a long list for me. I've sinned a lot. It's a long list. But the most amazing part of the trial is this. After the lawyer is finished listing everything you're charged with for the believer in Jesus, Jesus himself steps into the courtroom and says, I'll take it. He gets sworn and he says, I'll take it. I'll take all of your sin. I'll take your guilt. I'll take your shame. I'll take the condemnation that you feel. Give it all to me. And God comes back with the verdict. Innocent. Innocent. God says, because of your faith in Jesus, you are innocent. And what's more, I'm giving you my son's righteousness. I'm giving you his perfect record. Innocent. It's not just not guilty like in American courtrooms. No, you're not just not guilty. You're innocent. That's justification. Justification is being declared innocent in the Lord's heavenly courtroom because of belief in Jesus Christ, despite you deserving guilt and death. Justification 
is being declared innocent and righteous in the Lord's heavenly courtroom because of believing in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, though. Even though when we became a Christian, we were justified once and for all, sometimes the charges don't stop. Sometimes we still feel accused and condemned for all of the sins that we've committed in this life. These charges are Satan accusing us, reminding us of how wicked we are inside and trying to convince us that we don't still belong to Christ's family. Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me. It happens to me all the time. You see, when I became a Christian three years ago, I was in the midst of what would become a decade-long crippling addiction to pornography, lust, and sexual brokenness. By God's grace, I've been rescued from my old ways, and I'm learning to embrace the long process of becoming more like Christ. However, I still feel accused sometimes because of my past I feel like charges are being brought against me. And it's really subtle. It's just a little voice in my head. Here's what it says. Maybe some of you can relate. A little voice says, You're a joke. You're a loser. You don't deserve Christ. You don't deserve anything. Should you go to church, you were addicted to pornography for so long. And you still struggle day after day. Are you really saved? Are you really in God's family? Do you really belong to him? So these charges are brought against me. Satan reminds me of my sin. He reminds us of our sin. Satan accuses us and brings slanderous charges against us because he wants to take away the assurance and joy of our salvation. However, praise God that it doesn't end at the charge. Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Paul says, no, no one can ultimately succeed in bringing charges against believers in Jesus because we have been declared permanently innocent, permanently righteous in God's heavenly courtroom by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been justified as believers in him once and for all. In the Lord's heavenly courtroom, A verdict to save someone from sin, death, hell, and destruction is final. Period. That's it. So if you are a believer in Jesus, God has justified you permanently. You're made righteous in his sight. So no matter what that little voice in your head accuses you of, no matter what it tells you, believe in your heart that your salvation is final and secure. God is for us by justifying us. God is for us by justifying us. Third, God is for us by interceding for us. God is for us by interceding for us. We saw last week that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Let's take a quick look. Look at Romans 8, 26 and 27. We heard this last week from Jason. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We saw last week that God, the Father, 
answers the prayers of God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is constantly praying for us on our behalf. God's on our side. He's for us. And we're going to see a similar concept in our passage this morning. Read with me verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, we've already seen in Romans 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But Paul goes on to explain that not only is the Holy Spirit our intercessor, but Jesus as well is presently, currently interceding for us. This is good news. This is amazing. But even though we may understand this in our heads, it can be much harder to believe in our hearts Sometimes we don't believe that Christ is interceding for us because we feel condemnation, contrary to what Romans 8, 1 tells us. Sometimes we feel condemnation for sin that we have committed in the past, sin that we're committing now, or sin that we fear in the future. From time to time, I still feel condemned because of my past addiction to pornography and lust. I felt worthless guilty and ashamed of my sin. And I know that I'm not alone in this. We all sometimes feel condemnation or shame or guilt for our acts of sin. But what Romans 8 tells us is that there is no more condemnation for believers in Christ Jesus. The verse says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God and who is currently interceding for us. Brothers and sisters, there is no more condemnation for believers in Jesus because Jesus has paid our penalty in full and in that eliminated all condemnation. More than that, he's currently pleading our case to our Heavenly Father. So even though we may feel ashamed, charges brought against us, we can rest in the knowledge that there is no more condemnation because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Do you believe this? You can know it, But do you believe this in your heart? We have two great intercessors, and they're both God. Two great intercessors, and they're both God. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, and he's praying to God the Father on our behalf. And here in verse 34, we see that Jesus, who is in heaven already with our Heavenly Father, is currently, presently pleading our case before the Lord. This means that two out of the three members of the Trinity, two out of the three members of the Godhead are currently pleading our case before the Father as believers in Jesus. And the last member of the Trinity is listening. The first two members are praying and pleading with God, and God's listening. There's the Trinity. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus is currently testifying our justification, our being declared innocent in front of God the Father. God is for us because God works in intercession. God is for us. He's for you because he works for you, interceding for you. Even though God makes it clear to us that he's for us, don't we all sometimes have questions about whether he's really for us? Don't we question whether God's on our side? The Roman church also had questions and doubts during the time Paul wrote this letter to them. Take a look at verses 35 to 36. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Here Paul quotes Psalm 44. He quotes the Old Testament. And Psalm 44 is this tragic song of lament, which the Israelites sung during times of serious oppression, persecution, and opposition, which is just what the Romans were going through in this time. They were either already suffering under Nero, this vicious emperor, or they were about to suffer under Nero. They were being persecuted, mocked, and killed. Life was tough for the Romans in this time. But here's their problem. They were letting their earthly suffering mess with their thinking about their salvation. They were thinking that because of their suffering or their persecution or their distress, because they faced death and persecution, that they were somehow separated, taken from the love of God. Now, although none of us are facing a ruthless leader or serious persecution like that, we can still feel the same way. We can feel that our suffering separates us from the love of God, that God must not love us because of what we're going through. The reality is that our suffering is very real on this earth. The passage says, for your sake, we're killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know who else was killed for our sake? Who was made to look like a sheep and who was slaughtered for us? Jesus Christ. He suffered and died and was buried and rose from the dead. And when we suffer, we participate. We rehearse that gospel story with Jesus. We suffer. We die to ourselves. And one day we will die. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we will be raised just as he was raised from death to life to worship Jesus forever. Your suffering does not take away your salvation. And when you suffer, you participate in Jesus' story. You take up your cross and sometimes it's heavy. It hurts just as Jesus' cross hurt on his back. You take up your cross, it hurts, and you follow him until a day that we as Christians look forward to when we will be free from all of our suffering and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. So if you're going through a time of suffering or persecution or opposition right now, I don't know what it looks like for you, and I know you may not want to hear the truth from the Bible, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Our suffering does not take away our salvation. Our suffering does not take away our membership in God's family. Our suffering does not separate us from the love of God. Even though it hurts, and even though you may doubt, it's true. Our suffering does not take away our salvation in Christ. So fourth, God is for us because he makes us more than conquerors in him. God is for us because he makes us more than conquerors in his name. God is for you, believer in Christ, because you are more than a conqueror in him. Read what Paul says to the Romans and by extension to us in Evanston this morning in verse 37. Paul says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, no, you cannot be separated from the love of God. You can't be separated from tribulation, distress, persecution, 
famine, nakedness, danger, sword, family problems, addiction, pornography, relationship struggles, or anything else in the whole world. You can't be separated from the love of God because you are more than a conqueror in Christ. Now here's what being more than a conqueror does not mean. I'm not going to be one of those preachers that gets up here and tells you to just believe more and God will eliminate your financial struggles because you're more than a conqueror. You just have to pray and I'll give you money. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to tell you to accept that you're more than a conqueror. So if you just believe, God will eliminate your suffering. I'm not going to tell you that because those things just aren't true. It's not in the Bible. Here's what being more than a conqueror in Christ really means according to the Bible. It means this, that God will ultimately win our story. He is in the process of turning our suffering for our good and his glory. And we get to participate in that. Being more than a conqueror in Christ means that although the hard situations in life may not turn out how we plan them or how we want them to, we have a mindset beyond our suffering. We look forward to our true home in heaven. He's given us a new name and a new home. He's for us. He's on our side. As believers in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors in his name. We will ultimately defeat our suffering as we are raised from the dead. Even though it hurts now, God will win our story. We'll have an attitude that goes beyond our suffering to a place we can permanently call home. God is for us by making us more than conquerors in his name. God's for us. He's for you by making you more than a conqueror in him. So, so far we've seen that God is for us by giving us all. He's for us by justifying us. He intercedes for us and he is making us more than a conqueror in him. So far, all of these actions of God, these verbs, giving, justifying, interceding, making, are demonstrations of one thing, his love for us. Just as Tevya was asking his wife, do you love me? And she responded with all the things that she has done throughout their marriage, all the concrete ways she's shown him love throughout their marriage. So God shows us in this passage all the ways he's for us, all of the things he's done for us that leads us to one conclusion. God loves us and he's showing it to us by listing all the things he's done for us. So fifth, God is for us because he loves us so much. God is for us, brothers and sisters. He loves us. Let's be encouraged. Read, starting in verse 38. Verse 38 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in the world can separate us from the love with which he loves us. Let's take a look at these neither nor statements to see just how radical Paul is in saying that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, first, neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God. Paul says, no matter if we live or if we die, we will not be separated from his love. 
The Roman church thought that since they faced death, they were somehow separated. But God loves us no matter who lives or dies. Some of you have experienced death recently. You've experienced death of a loved one or a family member. You may feel separated from God's love in some way. That he doesn't love you because of what's going on. But be reminded in your heart, no matter who lives or dies, he still loves you and he's for you. Paul says, neither angels nor rulers or powers. This means that no matter what charge Satan throws at you, the love of God has more power. No charge Satan throws, throws at you has more power than the love of God. You cannot be separated from it. You can't run away from it. Neither things present nor things to come. This one's my favorite. This means that as Christians, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing, and no matter what we do for the rest of our life, we will not be separated from the love of God. Your past does not disqualify you from God's love. No matter what you've done, it does not disqualify you from God's love. That means that however you came in here as a believer in Jesus, you can receive healing and forgiveness from your sin. The Holy Spirit to empower you to move away from your sinful habits to become closer to Jesus. But no matter what has happened or what will happen, you're still loved by God. You're still loved by God. Paul says, neither height nor depth. Wherever you go in the whole world, whether high or low, or however you feel, whether great or awful, the heights of your joy or the depths of your depravity, God still loves you. and You can't be taken away from it. Lastly, nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this. Paul adds this little tagline, just in case any of you are like, oh, Ryan or Paul or God. I still feel separated from the love of God for reasons A, B, C, X, Y, Z. He's like, no, 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 no. Nothing else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. Nothing in the whole world will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. So that brings to a conclusion one of the greatest passages in one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. Paul has spent eight chapters of Romans proving to you and to me and to all of us that God is for us, that he's working for us, and that he loves us so much. Why does he remind us of it again? Because Paul really wants us to get it. He wants us to believe in our hearts, and he wants us to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be reminded of the truths of the gospel so you believe it in your heart, and so it changes your life. Because if you're like me, you forget the gospel too often. I need reminders of God being for me every single day. And I'm guessing some of you do too. It's easy to forget that God is for you when you're suffering. When Satan is heaping accusations and charges against you. Or when you feel condemned because of your past or even your current sins. It's easy to forget. Now let me tell you. That's what our ethos communities are for. We get together throughout the week and we remind each other over and over and over again that our God loves us and he's for us. So if you're still holding out on joining an ethos community for whatever reason, I'm begging you to join into one because we all need reminders of the gospel every day. 
And getting plugged into an ethos community is a tangible way you can get the reminders you need that God is for you and he loves you in the context of a wonderful, loving, caring community. If you're already plugged into an ethos community, you too need reminders that God is for you. That's why all of us need to join community, get plugged in, so we remind each other, but also in our quiet times, we need to remind ourselves. That's why we come to the Bible. We remind ourselves that God loves us and he's for us. Otherwise, like Tevya, we can forget that we're loved. A couple weeks ago, Jason issued an eight-day challenge in order to help move us from doubt to faith. I want to issue another eight-day challenge this morning so that we remind ourselves every day that God is for us and he loves us. It'll go like this. Over the next eight days, here's my challenge. Read Romans chapter 8. That's it. Then the next day, read it again. And then read it again. And then read it again. Why not read Romans 8 eight times over the next eight days? Why not? Romans 8 was written to assure you and remind you of your salvation. We need these reminders because otherwise we'll forget. Why not? Read it eight times. Regardless of what you do or read, whether you take my challenge or not, my goal for you is this. Cultivate a consistent habit of reminding yourself and others of the gospel on a daily basis so we remember who we are in Christ. My goal for you is this. Cultivate a consistent habit of preaching the gospel to yourself and to others so all of us remember who we are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, God loves you with a love you can never be separated from. If you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, now is your time. What are you waiting for? You can join into this love. You can join into God's family. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He always loves you. You can admit your brokenness and accept Christ's sacrifice on your behalf today. Today can be your day right now to believe. If you are already a believer in Jesus, this means that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter how you came in here, or no matter what you do for the rest of your life, that God loves you and you're going to be okay. Ultimately, God loves you. He's for you. And you're going to be okay. So, what then shall we say to these things? Is God for us? Yes. Can anyone be against us ultimately? No. God is for us. He's on our side. He's for us by giving us all. God's for us by justifying us. God's for us by interceding for us. God's for us by making us more than conquerors in him. And God's for us because he loves us with a love that we can never be separated from. Let's be encouraged and reminded of that truth today. God loves you and he's for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, I thank you for this love. It's so great, God. It fills this place. I thank you that we can't be separated from your love. I thank you that you're not against us, God. You're for us. You're with us. You're with us in our suffering. You're with us from the good to the bad, from our first day to our last day, God. You're not 
against us. You're for us. Lord, I pray for everyone here, my brothers and my sisters. God, remind them in their hearts of the truths of the gospel. Cause them this week and for the rest of their lives to remind themselves and others every day, Lord. I know you can do it. I know your Holy Spirit can descend in this place and remind us in our hearts. Even if we're suffering, God, your word tells us we can never be taken from your love. So, Lord, I thank you for the love that you've loved us with. I pray that it would become new and fresh to us every day. And, Lord, thanks for sending Jesus to die for our sins. You gave us the most costly gift in the world, Lord, and we can praise you for it. I pray that we'd worship fully in this time, that we'd remember God's not against us. He's for us and he loves us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning once again. My name is Kyle Butson. I serve here at EBF as the church administrator. We're going to continue our worship of the Lord this morning by taking up our offering. Before we do that, I do want to pass along some good news. This past week was the end of our fiscal year, and we were able to end the year on target. So let's praise God for that. We want to also thank you for all your giving faithfully and your participation in our church body. So thank you so much, and uh, let's also start this new fiscal year off on the right foot as well. Um, so ushers, please come forward, and we'll take up this morning's offering. We also are going to prepare for communion. Um, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, he's highlighting one aspect of communion, and that's that we are proclaiming the Lord's death. And so by doing that, we're not just passing along information, we're actually identifying with who Jesus is. Participation in communion is one way that we can show that we identify with Jesus and we believe in his life, death, and resurrection for us. So we can continue to worship this morning just by simply doing this act of taking the, the Lord's Supper. Because this is an act of worship that demonstrates belief in Jesus, uh, anyone who has trusted in Christ is welcome to partake in this uh, communion. We do ask that if you have not yet trusted in Jesus or you don't yet identify him as your Lord and Savior, uh, that you would remain seated during this time and reflect on what's going on and what you've heard this morning. So just how this is going to work, we have four tables in here, two in the front and then two at the back at the steps going up to the balcony. Um, that table in the, the right side of the hall has a gluten-free option. Down here, just want to mention, please enter through the, the center aisle and exit through the outer aisles as you're going to the tables. Also this morning in James chapter 5, uh, it teaches that believers who are sick should um, go to the elders and ask for prayer 
and be anointed with oil. So for this reason, our church elders will be stationed around the outside of the hall here. They will, we invite you, if you're suffering, whether physically or otherwise, to please go to them and ask for prayer. If you choose, they will also anoint you with oil. And uh, as we say, there's not something special or magical about this oil, but we do want to trust what God's word says, and that's why we're going to follow that. So let's continue to worship Jesus by taking communion and identifying with him. like a hurricane 